0: Discussion keeps the world turning. This is Roundtable.
1: You're listening to Roundtable coming to you from Beijing. I'm Lai Ming. Coming up on today's show, individuals, organizations, countries and regions are rallying for the goal of reducing carbon emissions in the wake of global warming. Before the whole planet hits the finishing line with carbon neutrality, small battles and skirmishes will have to be won. The building of zero carbon zones constitutes small steps towards the final victory. Today we take a look at the construction and operation of carbon neutral zones to see whether we found sustainable ways to save our environment. Food delivery service makes life much easier for people living fast-paced lives in metropolitan cities, but it's not without its vices. Lately, packaging fees come into the public spotlight as many consumers complain about the rate in which it adds up. Is there an irregularity in the pricing? We shall find out about it soon. Now a roundtable as zero in on zero carbon zones. For today's discussion, I'm joined by Gao Jingya and Joshua Cottero. and We have talked about uh, carbon neutrality quite often on the show, and I think before we head on to the more professional or more challenging part about uh, zero carbon zones or zero carbon industrial parks, uh, it's important for us to get the basic definition or basic ideas correct. And that is, how do we achieve carbon neutrality or zero carbon emission? I mean, there's, in reality, it's, it's not really possible because we breathe the air, we uh, emit uh, carbon dioxide ourselves, and we travel, we um, we create, we leave carbon footprints everywhere we go. And so realistically speaking, this is not possible. But in, in, in reality, uh, in theory, there's a way to achieve that, right?
2: Yeah, definitely. Carbon neutrality, actually, it refers to the idea of achieving net zero greenhouse gas emissions by balancing those emissions So, you know, they are equal emissions or even less than emissions that they get removed through the planet's natural absorption. In basic terms, it means like uh, we reduce our emissions through climate action. Like you said, we we produce uh, certain emissions, but in other ways, we have to uh, you know find out ways to reduce our emissions. So in that sense, there would be this neutrality. That would you know. The first thing in. that pops
1: in mind would be uh, planting trees because trees would absorb carbon dioxide in the air, and there are other uh, processes in which we can do to reduce our carbon footprint and carbon neutrality zone. Uh, is one way uh, that we are trying to pursue before we reach the final goal of carbon neutrality throughout the planet. And it actually refers to a geological area or region that has achieved or is working towards achieving carbon neutrality, and it reduces its carbon footprint to a minimum. Ideally, it should be zero or negative. If it's negative, then it can, uh, through some means, for instance, like carbon trading, uh, contribute to the total uh, elimination of carbon footprints throughout uh, the planet. We did a quick research into the uh, styles or the current state of carbon uh, reduction throughout the world, in, in fact, and for... For China, I think energy sector is a major contributor to carbon emission. It accounts for about 50% of carbon emissions throughout the country. It's followed by industry and then uh, also uh, transport only accounts for about 7% here in this country. So uh, by knowing the uh, structure or the uh, level, the state of carbon emissions within a particular region, uh, we can find the quickest way or the most efficient way to tackle Uh, the major emitters and perhaps uh, edge ever closer to the goal of carbon neutrality overall. Uh, Likewise, in the UK, we did a research as well. It's a different country. Uh, It's uh, much more developed than other countries in the world. And uh, energy only uh, accounts for about 16% of the carbon emission in the country. But transport apparently takes up 34% according to provisional data uh, of the year 2022 on the website gov.uk. So my understanding through uh, doing this research and, and through learning about Uh, the different makeup of carbon emission uh, in different regions uh, should lead to uh, perhaps different solutions or different way of life if we were to pursue uh, carbon neutrality in different regions. Uh, Josh, um, you're from the UK, and you must have your own observation about your lifestyle, uh, where you come from, and what uh, your people might need to do if your country were to reach... Uh, your climate ambition. Uh, Josh, let me know, uh, what's the first thing that that pops up in your mind as regard to uh, the elimination of carbon footprints?
0: Well, the first thing that comes to my mind on a very personal level is transportation, actually. And as you quite rightly mentioned, Liming, it is one of the biggest contributors to carbon emissions. And so... When I think about carbon emissions or when I see examples in my own country, in a city like Bristol um, is an example. And in city, this city of Bristol, which is located in the southwest of England, it's set a goal to become carbon neutral by 2030, which is not far away. Mm-hmm. Right. And one of the main things that it's doing is looking to sort of revolutionize its transportation. Um, and this is being done in through various initiatives, including things that are connected to renewable energy generation and promoting sustainable transportation options, such as, um, you know, going all electric and things like this. So one of the first things that pops into my mind is definitely transportation. The same thing is happening in the city of Manchester, which is much closer to my hometown as well, probably a more famous city internationally because of Manchester football team. But also they've developed an action plan. Um, which includes transitioning again to renewable energies and encouraging sustainable transport options.
1: Mm-hmm. And also residential uh, emission also accounts for a major part in the UK, about 17% from uh, using energy to heat and also to cook in people's homes. I mean, would that uh, goal of achieving carbon neutrality uh, further on affect your lifestyle choices?
0: Um I'm not sure exactly. I I think that it it is affecting people's lifestyle choices. But as with many things, uh, the biggest changes are coming from government changes and local council changes and things like this. Um, I I think that it's, it's important to take into account the complexity of this issue of carbon neutrality. And when it comes to things that are affecting people's livelihoods, most people, again, are just trying to get to work on time and trying to afford to live. Right. So I think that a lot of these things aren't directly affecting people by choice, uh, but definitely things are changing.
1: Mm -hmm. I think you've just highlighted the difficulty or the challenges of achieving carbon neutrality overall, thinking about uh, major challenges to people's lifestyles, uh, pertaining to heating and cooking, and also transport, uh, which is why it's important for us to uh, achieve little uh, victories over uh, time, I mean carbon neutrality zones. I mean, that's the topic of, our, of the day. And uh, there are actually a few good examples uh, worldwide. Uh, Junya, would you point us the way to some successful examples of uh, carbon neutrality, carbon neutral zones being constructed or being put into practice uh, worldwide?
2: Yes, you know, those uh, carbon neutral zones, they are popping up um, around the world. And basically, um, according to the research I've done, I think most of them are in, you know, these uh, developed economies or with, uh, countries with uh, good economic development, like uh, the Masdar city in uh, the UAE. Actually, it's located just outside of Abu Dhabi and is the world's first planned city for achieving carbon neutrality. The city started building in 2008, and it's still under construction. And it's said that it's going to be completed by 2025. And after its completion, uh, it's expected that 50,000 people would be living there. And also there's this uh, carbon neutral zones in China. In Shenzhen, Bank actually, they have built this uh bank center carbon neutrality experimental zone and uh, also in china's hainan province there is this uh, Boao forum for asia press center it's also being uh, developed into this carbon neutrality zone so it's funny to uh, point out because like i said definitely it calls for economic power and high technological development to build those zones. So I think besides this economic, you know, this uh, strong, solid finance uh, support, there would also be some solid uh, supplies of renewable energies, I believe, you know, in order to maintain such carbon neutral zones. And one thing I need to, uh, I want to point out is that it's quite interesting, actually, because in this, uh, Muscar City when it comes to the disposal of the garbage, actually, it's quite interesting because it's, I think it's using some flies to help it to dispose the garbage, the waste. But, you know, I'm wondering how many flies does it need? <laughs> and so what are the flies, you know, going to do after eating? They're just, you know, in some certain containers or I don't know, it's, it's quite interesting. So I think there's a lot of questions to be explored further in terms of, you know, to have now hazardous disposal of garbage, and one more thing I'm quite curious is that in order to maintain such carbon-neutral zones like this, uh, Mustar City is going to attract fifty thousand people. I think uh, those fifty thousand residents they must have that environmental protection awareness, right? And also, right. They, uh, they have to have certain actions, you know, to keep this place running. So um, I'm not saying it's that ideal, but it is something in the development and you know uh, there are so many issues so many more issues to be solved.
1: Right, so the demonstration projects in the form of the Mastar city and also in the uh, Vancouver Centre Carbon Neutrality Experimental Zone in in China, uh, they have something in common for instance to pursue certain technological paths like uh, using renewable energy sources including solar panels and wind turbines and uh, also the uh, construction of buildings um, have conformed to highly energy-efficient standards. And there is also the stress on using natural ventilation and cooling, likewise for the project uh, in China. There is, en- there is the use of energy-saving material and intelligent power technology to regulate the uh, use of energy, and uh, also uh, Junya mentioned the use of uh, black soldier flies to try and dispose of the waste. A lot of it um, seems rather futuristic and science fiction-like. And I wonder, these changes, this deployment of new technologies, must have a profound impact on the way the cities are constructed and on the way people go about their daily lives. As Junya mentioned earlier, I mean, the citizens or the residents in these uh, areas are supposed to have been highly educated about uh, uh, environmental issues in order to leverage these technologies uh, where they live. Um, So um, going forward, I mean, it is... Just as we look at these uh, options and also these cutting edge technologies, I I couldn't help but uh, refer to older buildings or older cities in China and around the world. Uh, For instance, in the UK, I mean, the UK is a developed country and uh, a lot of the buildings have been, uh, must have been finished uh, decades ago. And... uh, to think about the cost of uh, uh, changing them and adapting them to the needs of achieving carbon neutrality. I mean, that's a lot of, of challenges, both in terms of uh, engineering and also in terms of uh, getting people used to them. Um, Josh, what impact do you anticipate this would have on uh, your people? I mean, their, their lifestyle and also the way of thinking.
0: I think that it's going to be really challenging. And I think that you bring up an excellent point, uh, both of you. And really, I think what we're talking about here or the issue that we're looking at is how difficult it's going to be to transition. And when we think about fossil fuels, I think that it's sometimes quite easy to just think about it in terms of, you know, its its actual primary use, which is to fuel something. But we have to remember that our our whole society is basically based on these systems, right? It Industry emissions and these supply chains are really complex, and so many of these industries—manufacturing, aviation, heavy transportation—and uh, the way we live is basically based on fossil fuels. And so, changing this is really, really challenging. I think it goes much further than. I think it's much more challenging than just the old buildings that you mentioned and things like this. Although they definitely uh, are going to need to be. I don't know how they're going to be maintained. It's an interesting point. I mean, I guess if you take one of these older cities in the UK like Bristol or the city of York for example in the United Kingdom which is a small city like internationally speaking but it's a very developed city in the UK but it's very old it's got so many old buildings in fact most of the city is surrounded by a castle wall basically and I mean I think that what's going to happen in the UK, I know, is certainly none of this is going to be torn down. Um, It's going to have to be coped with, and we're going to have to live around it. Um, It's going to be pretty challenging uh, on many levels, but uh, I think this is the only solution. At least this is what's happening in cities like Bristol right now.
1: Mm -hmm. It's one thing to pursue carbon neutrality in a developed country where people have formed their own lifestyles, where... The society or the economy has more or less in fact uh, has all but completely been industrialized is another thing, entirely different thing to pursue carbon neutrality on a continent where industrialization has only just begun and Junya you've spent quite a few years in Africa as a correspondent and in your observation what would be the major obstacles if the countries on the African continent were to uh, achieve carbon neutrality and to pursue that goal. I mean, it's not fair for you to come up with the uh, answer to stand for the entire continent, but maybe a few examples would suffice.
2: Yeah, I think uh, most of African countries uh even the you know the african continent in general are like the other developing countries in the world actually they have quite small f- carbon footprint but they have uh, bear the brunt of the uh, impact of climate change and also i need to point out that actually those countries they have very ambitious goals when it comes to uh, carbon dioxide uh, reduction because you know for for example africa they just held its first climate summit last in September. And president of Kenya, Ruto, said uh, climate action is not a global north issue or a global south issue. It's our collective challenge. What I want to say is actually Africa accounts for less than three percent of the global energy-related carbon dioxide emissions, and it has the lowest emission per capita of any region in the world. But Africa is warming faster than the rest of the world. I was there, you know, for over 5 years and I've witnessed, you know, how extreme weather events like uh, floods or uh, droughts um, were threatening local people's life and how people are struggling to get enough uh, food to eat. And also they don't even, you know, the basic facilities we're expecting here in China, or maybe other parts of the world, like uh, power, like uh, fuel, but they face certain shortages. Like in Zimbabwe, I've been suffering, suffering from power cuts for quite a long time, and even in a few developed economies like South Africa, it's quite, you know, it is an industrial country, but South Africa has also this headache problem of load shedding. So it's it's a quite a dire issue there when it comes to the reduction of carbon dioxide. I think it comes to my mind that they need finance help and also they need technology. Most of the countries they need this. Because uh, talking about the positive side, African countries they had quite um, a lot of renewable energies like the sunshine, you know, solar energies. Also a number of countries, they have this lithium mines. It's you know it's popular for it's a rare earth uh, mineral yeah, to make make this uh, new energy vehicles and also they have um, hydropower's and that's why many chinese companies actually they're building up hydropower stations in many african countries to help beef up its supply of uh, power but i think it's it's just not enough it's still in the uh, starting stage so more needs to be done
1: mm-hmm. the limitation lies in the lack of uh, Uh, infrastructure investment and also uh, financial aid in overall. So, um, but there is the unique advantage of not having to start everything all over again uh, as they pursue uh, a carbon neutral or environmental friendly approach of developing. If countries on the continent are fully aware and apace with the world's decision to achieve carbon neutrality, Uh, in the decades to come. So um, by highlighting the differences uh, on the African continent in the UK and in China, and I hope to paint a picture of you know, the discrepancies or disparities that we, uh, humanities, are are experiencing and facing, even as we pursue the common goal of carbon neutrality in the coming decades. And that is, uh, we don't all have to look the same. I mean, if you look at the technology that we are talking about, distributed uh, solar panels, and then a lot of the uh, air conditioning technologies using more natural ways rather than energy-intensive ways. So um, if you look at only these technologies, you would assume that perhaps all cities in the future will look the same because they'll be using the same technologies. But in fact, uh, each region is different in their own cultural and resource endowment and and as such their own path to achieving uh, environmental-friendly lifestyle and city. Uh, and social outlook uh, should be different. I mean, if we take that away, I mean, all cities will look the same or perhaps people, um, we will lose so much variety here. Josh, you're an artist. I mean, would you regret uh, when you travel to, um, let's say the next carbon neutral zone or the next carbon neutral city, maybe in five years or 10 years uh, on let's say in Africa or in the US, and then you find out that they all look the same. It's, uh, it's the same city as you would see in China.
0: I mean, I, I'm not ruling it out as a possibility. It sounds pretty sterile, doesn't it, and boring. But I, I hope and I think that the reality is, and when you when we think about one of the most important things that we need to have carbon neutral zone zones it is green spaces right it's the incorporation of green spaces um and usually green spaces are quite beautiful or at least they should be and that they should incorporate you know species and trees and plants and animals that are indigenous to that area right that aren't invasive so i would hope that society The world over still maintains the desire to have some diversity and beauty in their spaces so i I think i have some hope for it most green spaces that i've been to that are i don't think i've ever been to a carbon neutral zone but i've definitely been to a lot of green cities and spaces and yeah they're, they're super beautiful most of the time plenty of places to walk and cycle and things like this so i don't think they'll all look exactly the same um you you really think this is a possibility
1: Well, I've traveled around China and I've seen how urbanization have changed the landscapes of different cities Mm. across the country. And uh, even before we achieve carbon neutrality, they're beginning to look very much alike, uh, you know, wherever you go. So uh, there's that likelihood. But then again, um, perhaps it's much too early for us to worry about cities looking uh, alike. Uh, I mean, uh, we are still a a long way to go before we achieve carbon neutrality in major cities, perhaps. Another way to look at the issue would be, uh, to look at industrial parks. I mean, another way to say in Chinese is industrial park. I mean, here in China, um, a lot of the manufacturing businesses are located. In fact, half of the manufacturing businesses are located in industrial parks, and they account for about 70% of the industrial output. So, if we were to begin with uh, industrial parks, these places of production and manufacturing, uh, we can find it a lot rather efficient ways to achieve carbon neutrality. And this would be a good start. Starting point before we introduce this to the wider area across the society, where people will have to change their lifestyle and make very important decisions as to regard to the stuff they use, stuffs they wear, and the stuff they they cook and they drive. So um, yeah, I'm a lot more optimistic about you know changes that are not immediately connected to people's lives. Instead, I would focus on uh, areas that we can claim a major victory. Uh, to begin with and that will rally up our hope.